never underestimate the contacts that you make in a job. No matter how menial you may see your position, that's just one of those lessons. Just do a good job wherever you are, wherever you're placed. Just do a good job. And I'm telling you, somebody's respecting you and will be there to back you up at some point. Not that that's why you're doing it. You're doing it because right. that's what you're about. But at the same time, that's how I started Vendels Henry Vendel. There was one Thursday or maybe two Thursdays in the month, but I didn't even know that. I just like popped up one day with a garment bag on my back. It was like before Instagram and everybody could just Google you and see what you're about in your face in that moment. You just have to kind of like impose yourself. (laughs) I love it. I love it. You're like, I'm taking it. I was raised better than this, but (laughs) here it goes. Got some clothes in the bag. Can I just show them to you? Byron Lars is an American designer known for his bold prints, decadent overlays, and intricate illustrations. In 1991, the California native stepped out on his own to put what he calls a twist on the American classics, a collection that would propel him into instant fame. His designs have been spotted on several celebrities from Natalie Portman and Angela Bassett all the way to Michelle Obama. He was also one of the first black designers to collaborate with Barbie, creating a spectrum of fabulous melanated dolls for over a decade. After over 30 years in the industry, Byron has rebranded and launched a new line, In Earnest, inspired by the designer's father and his middle name. Check out our conversation about his journey. This is certainly a dream come true for me. Um, talking with you, the legendary Byron Ernest <laughs> Lars. <laughs> you <laughs> so got thank that. You. Yes, yes. I know about the whole that we'll talk about in earnest and sort of the direction that you're taking there. But, you know, I really want to start at the beginning. I really want to go back you just like your early days in El Cerrito like what okay. was that like I know the baggy pants and you know that was going on but like what was it like growing up there and like what sort of led to the baggy pants and the fashion design and sort of your your desire to become a designer I will get to all of that but now I notice that you're in um you're horizontal and I'm vertical. Should I turn my phone? Oh, no, you're good. You're good. It's audio only. It's audio only. Oh, yes. Awesome. That's why I was like, okay. oh, my God. I was like, I got the backdrop and everything. <laughs> See, I would have been over there. It is audio there. only. Yes, you could be <laughs> in, like in a Snuggie somewhere. Like, you know, whatever you need, whatever you need. <laughs> okay. Okay. So the baggy hands, back to your question. Um. Yeah, you know, actually, I, unlike most fashion designers who knew that they were interested in fashion when they were like small children, that wasn't me. Although, I remember like every significant event that happened in the family or in my life, I can tell you what everybody was wearing. Wow. Clearly somewhere in there, it was some of some import. 
to me. So yeah. uh, anyway, so yeah, it came along that my, my friend and neighbor, my grandmother, so she made herself all these great clothes all the time. We loved clothes in high school. Wanted her to make me a pair of baggy pants. And she flat out said, no. Do it yourself. <laughs> yeah. But you can use my machine, which is completely generous of her. But I was like, well, if I must. Wow. <laughs> I love it. I Well, you know, I'm from California as well. I'm from Southern California, Colton, which is an hour east of L.A., Okay. And so most people are like, where, huh? Where? <laughs> um, so how would you describe like El Cerrito and did it have any impact on your design style? You know, it did actually long before I got there, there was a legacy of fashion interest in the school. I don't know how that came to be. <laughs> I don't know what the origins of that were whatever, but, um, Anyway, there was a guy, this really cool guy that was an upperclassman who actually sewed before me and he made his own stuff, really cool, respected wow. guy. So he was the one that made it okay ah. for a guy to sew in high school without side eye and all that. <laughs> wow. Wow. Was, was that something that was happening at the time in El Cerrito? Was it not? Well, I mean, he made it happen. Wow. And he was like, I think he was like a couple of years ahead of me. And he was very, very cool. What like, made him cool? I'm curious. Like, um, were there Ray-Bans you know, involved? He had a great style. <laughs> All the girls liked him. You know, he was good at lots of things. It's charming and all that kind of stuff. I love it. I love it. So he started a thing because after me, there was a guy after me. Wow. There that was doing it. And I think he actually went on to fashion school and everything too. I don't know where he landed now. Cause you know, it was a long time ago. And I'm underclass. Yes. You don't really know underclass. Right? Oh, come on. <laughs> come on. Well, you know how that works. But you, but you eventually ended up at FIT. Like how, like, and, and, you know, be, were you there when Tracy Reese was there, or she was at Parsons. No, she went to Parsons. Yeah, Parsons. But you guys were friends. Were you friends before or after school? After, actually, I met Tracy at a brag. Oh that yeah, Black Reese Black Group. Yes, yeah. I was an intern and, <laughs> and scholarship winner. I love brag. And Mr. <laughs> JJ Thomas, shout out to JJ, Mr. JJ. Yes, <laughs> it is an awesome organization. Yeah, and up to that point. That evening, I hadn't met Tracy yet, um, but I'd heard really wonderful things about her from my then business partner, who was friends with her then business partner, Magdalena Lee. Wow. And I'd read articles about her. I'd seen her work. I respected her very much, but I didn't know that she was Black. And it never came up. Wow. And I got to be fully honest here. I got a little attitude when I saw her name on that roster at the Bragg event. I'm oh! like... It's a black retail event. It's like, well, I mean, it's great and all, but. Right. Which, I mean. <laughs> and then somebody introduced me to her and I'm like, oh my gosh, you're Tracy. Right? Yes. Yes. I guess it's like anybody who didn't see me and just saw the clothes or whatever. You just, you never picture a black person. You never picture a non-white person. Yeah. I mean, at least back then you never would have. 
And which should have been very telling, the fact yeah. that we would never have even considered that someone in press wow. <laughs> bad beyond a fashion label is not white. <laughs> yes, yes. And, you know, up there with Tracy, you, you, Byron Lars, were also, in my mind, elevated. Like, you know, one of the few names that I knew back when I, I gosh, that was back in... 2007 I started off as an assistant buyer at Bloomingdale's and and prior to that you know Tracy Reese Byron Lars there weren't a lot of black names that sort of came up when it no when we were talking retail and and buying and even you know what Tracy Reese her showroom I remember going in and I was like wow it was (laughs) I was like Mm -hmm. where's Tracy I think the only black person at the time was like a model so Mm -hmm. I mean but I understood why and why Mm -hmm. that that kind of had to happen uh just from being on the other side uh where there were a lot of of faces that look like ours and and just even uh when it comes to uh, negotiations and markups, you know, which we'll get into because I want to know how you figured all of that out. <laughs> I never did. I always had someone like shocking <laughs> for me. Yeah. I usually came in and like with the big calculator you know, <laughs> and then kept it moving. This is the first time in this venture in earnest wow. that Sheila and I are actually with the calculators punching it all out. Wow. I mean, maybe that first season. I did like years ago, but there was always support behind, you know, any effort back then, which honestly kind of did my experience a disservice. Mm. So I don't recommend it, but it happened the way it happened and it all happened as it should have happened, I suppose. And here we are. And so you, you go to FIT, but you drop out and then like, and then you just get to work. Like, were you just like, I'm over this, like... I just want to get my like hands in it and just start doing it. Like, what was it? Well, you know, I'd actually transferred in from a school in California mm-hmm. into the four-year program. So I'd already had some schooling. Uh, okay. And um, and then, you know, there were a lot of great opportunities at FIT. Like then a lot of companies gave money outside there and wow. sponsor competitions and stuff. And, you know, that financed a lot of my schooling and supplies and stuff allowed me to travel some, but for a while I was like, it felt like I was hanging out there more to be like the professional contestant. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. which were really great experiences from all that, you know, to let me see some of the world and you know what I mean? And I mean, you went to Monte Carlo and, <laughs> you know, met to be Carl Lagerfeld. So were you just like, I'm done after that? You're like, okay, met Carl. I'm on my way. No, I didn't get a job. <laughs> I mean, I was out there looking for work and I never, wow. I never got it. I never came back with a job. Wow. So, um, but all the while I was in school, I did know that like it would have to come down to getting a job. So I would like look in women's wear and go on these like interviews. I mean, I really wasn't looking for a full-time job at the time but then I wanted to just practice interviewing and then you know I got one job with this uh, sweater company I can't even remember the name of it but I remember like oh I'm hired <laughs> it, just, <laughs> it was really more uh, you know part of my educational experience is how I saw it but when I got a job I was like hmm 
um, maybe I should take this job. And I remember calling back and telling them, like, dude, I got a job. They were so like, excited. Mm, are <laughs> oh you sure you want this job? I'm like, hey, he's like, I'm here to support you, whatever oh, your decision is, that. but it may be a little premature or maybe it's not. I just want you to think long and hard about it. And then, and I did. And then at, at that particular juncture, I stayed in school. And then I interviewed again. And then I was like, I got another job. And then I'm like, I'm taking it. <laughs> you're, like, you're like, I'm uh, done. <laughs> and, you know, I, I don't recommend that for everybody. But yeah. at the same time, I just felt like I was ready. And even if I had to go back and do it again, I think I'd probably do it the same way. You're such um, an entrepreneur. Like you have that entrepreneurial spirit even then. Just sort of like, I want to learn and, <laughs> you know. Well, yes and no. I mean, you know, there's that part of, that part of me and that other part of me that's like scared to death of everything. Yeah. But there was a trailblazer in school who was our maverick, like the kids in my year, which were not kids any longer, but yeah. he started a company while he was in school wow. and he got written up in women's wear. His name was Gary Gatiss. Wow. And that was long before social media and, and you know, it's hard to find anything on him. But he was really super influential to, I think, all the kids Wow! when we were kids. Because he was doing this out of his parents' garage. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> making stuff. And I'd, I'd help him make patterns the weekend sometimes in Jersey. And he was really doing it, you know? Wow. <laughs> and it wow. was really... And, of course, there were some kid haters. Of you know? course. Because you always have the haters. Yeah, yeah, always got the haters, right? Yeah. And then there was like the, his cheering section, which I was clearly a part <laughs> of. I was like, dude, you are proof that right? this can be done. Wow. You know, so. Wow. Yeah, he started that. And then that, I mean, seeing him do that too was yeah. just really, really kind of emboldened me to just like, let's just do it, man. Just do it. Wow. So <laughs> you... You start working. Uh, what led you, I, I believe it was in 1991, to just step out on your own and do your own line? Well, I think there was, at that time, there was a recession. Mm. And I'd always been afraid to start at a time when I thought things could get out of hand right away. Yeah. So that, in a recession, I mean, like, what could happen? I mean, I get a few orders and... <laughs> I love it. And yes. you know what I mean? And it'll be manageable. And the first order was, I mean, the first one I got myself, I marked it and graded it from the, wow. all the classes I took at FIT. Yes. So they did pay off the grading and all that. Wow. Um, and yeah, shipped it. But, you know, the factory that made it, I actually met that factory because they used to make duplicate samples for one of the my last jobs that I'd Wow. Had. So never underestimate the contacts that you make in a job. No matter how menial you may see your position, it's just like, that's just uh, one of those lessons. Just do a good job wherever you are, whatever, wherever you're placed, just do a good job. And I'm telling you, somebody's respecting you and will be there to back you up at some point. Not that that's why you're doing it. You're doing it because right. that's what you're about. But at the same time, 
I really couldn't believe that they were going to make, they made my production for me. You know what I mean? It's just like, and I paid them after they finished. Wow. You know? like, oh, that's oh. a deal. <laughs> I was like, really? And so. I love it. Yeah, really. So, <laughs> anywho. I love so, that. Yeah, that. That's um how I started Bendel's Henry Bendel. Yes. That no longer exists. Um, you used to have these open calls on. Bad. I think like, there was one Thursday or maybe two Thursdays in the month, but I didn't even know that. I just like, <laughs> I just popped up one day with Stop a garment bag on my back. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I mean, now it'd be just like, unspeakably rude. Even then it was a little rude, but I was like, I don't know how else there's nobody's going to see me. I mean, I don't have anything. It was like before Instagram and everybody could just Google you and see yeah. what you're about, like in your face in that moment. You just have to kind of like impose your yourself. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You're like, Sorry. I'm taking it. I was raised better than this, but <laughs> here it goes. Here's my stuff. Got some clothes in the bag. Uh, can I just wow. show them to you? And they fell in love. Well, they gave me an order, you know, and they gave me the windows. The oh my windows. goodness. Didn't even know. I was walking by. I was like, <gasps> and all was like these baseball jacket kind of inspired dresses and stuff and you know i've only just recently pieced back together with like when a subsequent women's wear article it was like rookie of the year they gave me a title yeah. it was because of those baseball looking dresses that like by then nobody knew about because there was that shirt thing came and kind of obliterated all yes. that wow. Anyways, so yeah it was pretty pretty magical Time and that was actually a time in the city too when um or in fashion, mm. particularly in your fashion, where like the real big guys were would actually see you. And it was actually about the work. Wow. You know what I mean? Of yeah. course they had to create some hype around it because that's always going to be a part of this, always has been. Yeah. But um it was it was pretty remarkable in that, you know, people like Polly Mellon, who worked, you know, under Anna Winter, like would actually go like, I mean, anywhere to find something new and great. I mean, she would physically go. I love it. And show up because you had to. Yeah. You couldn't just sit on your phone and <laughs> swipe. Left. But you also don't get the full experience of the clothes and, no. and the craftsmanship of clothes. No, you don't, nor the personalities behind, but that's a, a, it takes a tremendous investment in time that people really don't have. I'm yeah. sorry, I have a call coming through and oh, I have it's okay. it. Oh. I don't know. Oh, we're all audio anyway. So it's yep, no we're problem. audio. Yes. Great. Totally great. perfect. So, um, yeah. And yeah, that, that's just how it was then. And, you know, like the really, Big guys would actually get out of their offices and go see people. It was remarkable. Podcasts are awesome. And I know you love them too, or you wouldn't be here right now. But have you ever thought about starting your own? Don't worry, you don't have to be a techie, but you do need a bit of guidance so you don't make costly mistakes. My name is Sunny, and I've been podcasting for a long time. I've launched more than 15 profitable podcasts, and I'm the founder of the Independent Podcast Network. 
My online course, How to Launch Your Profitable Podcast in 30 Days, gives you the keys to the five P's of podcasting, which is everything you need to launch and grow a successful podcast. You get unlimited access to more than 35 videos and dozens of handouts. And when you purchase my course, you're also supporting this awesome podcast because they're getting 50% of the money when you use their special link. How cool is that? Let me help you get started with your podcast. Go to podcastsareawesome.com slash fashion. That's podcastsareawesome.com slash fashion. I love that. You know, I interviewed Lauren Ezierski. That was the first episode. Lauren. That is my personal fashion icon of all time. Like I was obsessed and still am. I would watch her show every single day. Cause you know, they would just do the repeats uh-huh. and you know, Lauren was like, yeah, like, you know, she would just literally run around like, you know, like the, the fashion area, like, you know, sixth Avenue, she was everywhere. And like, she would physically go. Yeah. <laughs> and I love that. Yeah, me too. And I love Lauren. It's just like, she, she loved, she loved it in a way that I don't even know is possible anymore because I, just the, the physical demands of yeah. what that took yeah. to be engaged on that level all the time. Yeah. And that wasn't just in official capacities and like, no. you know, and all that. It's just evening things. She was there too. You know, like, <laughs> and I was there. I was young then. I was there as infrequently as possible. I'm like, look, there's work to be done. And I can't yeah. be here and there doing that at the it's same time. It's a lot. <laughs> so, it's a lot. It's, well, you know, speaking of that, like, where did you hang out? Where did the designers hang out, like, back in the day, like, in the 90s? Like, was there a spot? Well... Apparently, the spot was my block because I lived on 24th Street between 9th and 10th Avenue. And can I tell you, (laughs) almost so many designers lived on that block between those avenues, right across the street from each other. It's like Todd Oldham lived across the street, Isaac Mizrahi, Badgley Mishka. Wait, is Um, is that the shot that we see at the beginning of Unzipped when he's like, you know, outside reviewing, looking at the reviews of his yes. show. I love that it. Block. Wow. Yeah. Everybody lived there. It's just, it was so freakishly weird <laughs> and odd. And also it made it, it kind of created a kind of Mayberry feeling. I love it. Fashion Mayberry. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. It felt like a town. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because this is a town, but it, that really made it also much more like I don't know, um, less intimidating. Yeah, because it's just like, oh, we they live right here. We, we, there was a we sense of community. There was a sense yeah. of community, and and just sort of creating that that you know, uh, it's like oh, I I say hello to you in the street, and I see you, you know. Yeah, on Fashion Avenue. All right. Yeah. I love it. Well, it, was, how, it was pretty, pretty, yeah, casual that way. And it was nice. Well, how did you define your style in the midst of, 
all that was happening and your experiences. I know you've picked up certain techniques, <coughs> but what really defined the Byron Lars style and your design aesthetic? I think what really defined my style then, like in the pre-grunge era, <laughs> was a reaction against fashion. Hmm. It's like almost how that whole shirt thing happened. It was almost like really like elevating and glorifying the pedestrian, you know? Wow. And there was also a very pragmatic reason for all that because, you know, then they had fabric jobbers, people that had like leftover rolls of fabric from yeah. other people that were much bigger than used production. And that would then become your production fabric that you kind of, hopefully count on sometimes it'd be there <laughs> when you were ready to produce sometimes it wouldn't but of course there was always cotton shirting available. yes so there was that aspect to it also wow. um and you know there was something like too that i think goes back to i think african-american culture about like making a silk purse out of a sow's ear mm. too that was always intriguing to me and so i think that that had a lot to do with what defined my then look and what you know, became like kind of hallmarks of what others consider my style. But that was a little intimidating too, though, like being wow. so new and getting so much attention so early and having outsiders like tell you what you are and what you're doing and what you mean when you haven't really processed all that yourself. Wow. It's um, super interesting. And I've since seen like other like young designers who like are, and that's what like, and they're telling yeah. you this. And it's like, and I, I see that struggle with them trying to like, you know, break yeah. free from some of that still to say true to a customer that they kind of think they understand, but they haven't completely met and gotten to know yet. And yeah. It's all very interesting. <laughs> and I could also see pressure from retailers too. Just like we, we want this to be an all door piece. And you're like, wait, what? <laughs> all doors <laughs> you know ironically a lot of my um my uh aesthetic was sellable you know what yeah. i mean it's it's like we we actually sold clothes pretty early on and i didn't know to what degree until like terry agan's wrote this yes. article here times recently and of course she yes. interviewed like so many of the retailers from that I time loved and i'm it. like I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, Terry you know knows me? everyone. <laughs> yeah, but we didn't know all that stuff was going on. Cause like, he would have made been a little more demanding if we mm -hmm, knew. Mm -hmm. And they knew that. And that's why they didn't tell us. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> so, anywho. So yeah, that was, um, yeah, that's pretty much what defined the look though. A lot of, um, you know, glorifying the pedestrian. Mm. That would then be available for production without having to have high minimums and all that stuff. And yeah. So can you, for people who don't know about the shirt thing, what was <laughs> the shirt thing and why was it so impactful to your career? The shirt thing was basically uh, me doing riffs off men's button down shirts, Oxford striped shirts. Um, they were elongated. They draped, they twisted, they tied. This is all pretty like 
mundane now because they've been copied so many times that they're almost like language now. So if you were to see them today, you'd be like, that also? (laughs) It's like, well, yeah, Uh, it's because it's kind of been around. It kind of never left. And honestly, other people kind of usurped it. So I kind of moved on. Absolutely. But you know what, though? We're thinking about moving back. It's time to revisit that. I mean... I yeah, would, I would love one asking. of those right now. I would love one of those. <laughs> you know, Sheila, with just before all the implosion of COVID, mm-hmm. said, you know, I think it's time to do those shirts again. I'm like, I don't. I'm like, <laughs> like, every time we talk about the shirts, it's like, they definitely need to be reimagined because nobody wants to care for cotton anymore. Hmm. Nobody wants to take the time Fresh. to press it and nobody wants to spend the money to have hmm. it cared for and laundered because it's really hard to press one of those things or whatever. So yeah. we're definitely going to have to evolve the, the fiber content and all that yeah. stuff. But she was hundred percent right because that, that very coterie, that was the final coterie before all of this in-person coterie. And I mean, I'm not even kidding you. I couldn't turn a corner, like just walking to get lunch without hitting a buyer that's like, you know, you need to do those shirts again. It came up so many times at that show. And I was like, okay, oh okay, shirts again. But then the whole world changed and yeah. we didn't really get to it at that particular point. So, um, yeah, but that that was the shirt thing. It's just like, you know, articles were written on them. It's like everybody was buying them, mm-hmm. which was great. I mean, there was a couple of stores that we thought, they were digging a hole out back and burying them because they were ordering so many. We were like, there's just no way. So uh, all of these. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, again, that goes back to like a lack of experience and stuff mm-hmm. when you're just starting from, you know, your living room. And then like when you realize you really have an audience, wow. that's all. And learning to know who she is and what she needs from you, even though she's responding to it. But adjustments need to be made. It's all super daunting, the learning so curve. Much. But exciting. How do you stay inspired for the next, like, for each collection? You know, like, how do, how do you move with your audience, like, while still remaining true to yourself as an artist? You know, I think an essential part, at least for me, is actually liking her. Hmm. and wanting her to win and wanting to be a part of that. Yeah. You know, that's really super inspiring. Thinking about the life she's living, what she needs that she doesn't have, you know, what she has and might want more of that needs to come forward in some sort of way. Um, That's super, super inspiring. And that'll never go away because as long as she exists, that'll be there and there's new sheets yeah. you know what I mean and just to see how diverse she is in age and lifestyle and it's it really got so much larger than my perception of her because of course you have to start narrow I guess yeah how could you even start at all if you yeah. didn't and then she starts telling you who she is and then she taps and it's just like oh wow you like that and you're wearing that and you see how she wears it and how she uses it and how you know she brings another kind of like perspective 
to your perspective wow. that, you know, just makes it all build on itself. And there's the inspiration, the girl. Wow. I call her girl. It's not like a girl. It's yeah. like your girl because she's your girl, whether she's in her twenties yeah. or in her nineties. I love <laughs> because that. We've, we've had some. Oh like, yes. Oh yes. Yeah. I've seen the Instagram. <laughs> yeah. It's like, wow. Now that's what I want to be when I grow up. Wow. I know. <laughs> I'm picking up. I love it. Well, I mean, your dress dresses have ended up on, I don't know, like several celebrities, but Michelle Obama, what was that like? Well, that was pretty mind blowing. Yeah. That was like an OMG, OMG, OMG. Yes. <laughs> the, you know, it was like one of those things, like you never knew when it was going to happen. Yeah. How'd you find out? Like, how'd you find out? The first dress that she wore, believe it or not, it was on this PBS special where there was a Paul McCartney concert at the White House. Mm-hmm. One of those, I think it was one of the first ones. And there was a commercial, like probably like three weeks before it ran. And my mom got a glimpse of it, of all plea. And she <laughs> called us at the office. And I was just like, mom, I mean, I appreciate you looking out, but pretty sure. Yeah. Like, well, we investigated. That was like, oh my God. I call her Scoop. <laughs> Amazing. She had the down low before everybody. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. You gotta, gotta love moms. That. You gotta love moms. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Were you getting calls after that? Like with people wanting that dress? Yeah, but you know what? That was one of the things that we actually made for her. You wow. know, because I don't even know. I don't even know how. I can't remember how we came to decide that, that was what we would make for her. And that would be the color. And that would be the yeah. fabric. I didn't even recall all of that but i do know that um i mean the introduction to her then silas which was an owner of this store in chicago oh, yes uh, uh, oh my god now i'm forgetting it all it's not meredith it's the one before no before right? just before, yeah, meredith. before meredith but, meredith but i know who you're talking about yeah i know meredith, meredith. Is- oh, oh, oh. fabulous <laughs> yeah. she and sheila really hit it off like a house of fire i after- love it the the start with her so that really just cemented our you know position there in the white house years and it was really 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 special really great i love it i have to ask you what is egalitarian nude (laughs) i see it i see it in so many of your pieces and i'm thankful for it but for our audience what is it An egalitarian nude is a lining that is just that. It is a lining that looks good on every skin type. Instead of being, as a friend used to call it, prosthetic beige, which is (laughs) supposed to be, I guess, white nude. (laughs) It's a great name. (laughs) I'm going to use that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's supposed to be white nude, but even white skin doesn't really look like that. Yeah. But it, of course, looks best on white skin because mm-hmm. it's closest to white skin, but egalita- an egalitarian nude is a nude that we 
took some years for us to develop. It has a rosy hue. And it has a kind of olive net overlayer mm-hmm. that neutralizes the rose and somehow makes oh. it okay on everybody. It doesn't look like anybody. Yeah. But it looks good and correct on everybody, oddly. Wow. <laughs> and I didn't know about the overlays. Wow. Yeah. And then now to lighten it up, we've come up with a printing process to get those two colors integrated in a single layer. Beautiful. Um, but it's really crucial in that whole like neutralizing that new that makes it okay for everybody. Because, you know, as an African-American, when you see a beautiful black woman in a dress that has a white new, but not even white new, the yeah. prosthetic beige yes. oh. new, underneath it it's honestly it's so demoralizing i don't have words i have a visceral response to it and i always have and so but then it's like conversely i wouldn't want a new that was just for black women either and what does that mean there's so many shades of black that what would that be true and so i'm like then i'd just be doing what's been done to our girls so i'm like there's got to be some kind of solution here. And, you know, I didn't know that there was, but over just adjusting and adjusting, wow. adjusting and taking a look, we arrived at egalitarian new that it's genius. It's been a game changer. Genius. <laughs> I oh, mean, are you, is this trademarked? I, I mean, I feel <laughs> like it should be. <laughs> It's, it's not. And honestly, I, nobody's, as far as I know, I haven't seen anybody copy it because I still see a whole lot of beige out there. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And it's, hey, you know, because I guess, like I said, I mean, if you don't see it as a priority or you don't make clothes that require it, yeah, then I guess it's just a non-issue. And, and since the other solution has sold so well for so many years, I guess people yeah. are like, it's not broken, so we're not going to fix it. Well, just because it's functioning somewhat still doesn't mean that it can't use some adjustment. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> well, we appreciate you for that so much <laughs> and your work. I love it so much. I love your dresses. You know, totally random question. Have you or are you considering maybe doing like a coffee table book with some of your illustrations because they're just so beautiful? Well, it- <sighs> Thank you so much for that. I mean, uh, we haven't really thought about it, but it's now that you bring I'm, it up, I'm, I guess I'm it could the be bug possible. in your ear. <laughs> I mean, they're gorgeous. I, I and even in the Vogue article, I was like, "Oh my goodness! Oh my god!" It was just one after the other. Well, thank you so much. Sheila's like off camera, telling me like t-shirts, t-shirts, because yeah. actually, even though we have not talked about a coffee table book, of course, we are actually doing these illustrations on t-shirts now. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. And Wait, I got to get all the, the credit for that because yeah, they're, um, um, you know what? On our website. Um, on our website. Yeah. Oh. In earnest official, www.inearnestofficial.com. And they're on there and, um, I can show you some here. I know this is audio, but check you can, uh, it out. You guys. Oh, so I love it. Oh my God. I'm wanted. so excited. Okay. And inside of the back is like some 
backstory of the inspiration and all that kind of stuff. So nobody else sees that but you. Byron, I... (laughs) Okay, yes. That is on our list. Listeners, check it out. I'm excited. I just got super like, oh, I have to go get it. Um, but well, thank you. Um, and that's been very practical in terms of, I mean, the life we're living right now. Yeah. Which is honestly why she was like, listen, everybody loves your sketches. Everybody loves t-shirts. You know what I mean? Everybody can afford a t-shirt. Yeah. And so we should be making t-shirts at this time when this is what people are wearing and what they're yeah. doing. But even beyond that, too, is she also called out, and which is very true, it's like, we love merchandising t-shirts just like real people do back to our fancy things. Yeah. And a lot of times we couldn't in the past because we don't make the t-shirt. So then it's kind of like, well, why is that there if it's not yeah. yours? Yeah. Or yeah. if it's a decoy and you're not really making it and all that kind of stuff. So now, problem solved. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You know, I ha- I cannot do this interview without asking you about Barbie. Like, how did that, I mean, all the black, I just remember my cousin, he, he um, has passed away, unfortunately, but he had the most amazing Barbie collection and growing up, you know, Byron Lars, like he has, (laughs) my cousin Vincent, I mean, I learned about Madonna and Janet Jackson, Gem and the Holograms. And of course, Barbie and Byron Lars was was like on his like stand, like oh. all of your Barbies. So like, how did that happen? And I mean, you collaborated them for quite some time. I did. It was, you know, what was supposed to have been one doll, you know, ended up being so successful that it ended up being like 16. Yeah. Like each one, each new year, there was a new doll. And um yeah, it was really, really great. But it started off kind of rocky, you know what I mean? Because in the beginning, there were some really, really strict ideas about mm. what she could look like, where, what she could do. And, you know, for creative, that's just kind of like shackles that sometimes <laughs> like there's like the paddock yeah. that you like, that you need to like be your creative best. And then there's just shackles where there's nowhere to go. So why would you want to, you know, remain? Yeah. It it was like, honestly, after that first song, I was like, you know, having like some roots visions, like breaking free, (laughs) running, 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 running. I know exactly what you mean, though. (laughs) And then, you know, but the sales of the first doll created a little more freedom for the second doll. Love that. And second doll sales created more freedom for the third. And then there were some, you know, some people retired and, you know, new people came in with like new vision. and, And then, of course, we had great sales. So then there was even more freedom. And their design team is so amazing and so capable and so excited about pushing the boundaries that we were, it really just opened up for this really special moment in time, you know, an expression of, of blackness that I, I I didn't realize how, uh, 
momentous it was in that way until I started meeting women in the world who would share to me how important that was. Like, oh, it you know, was transformative to, for me. I mean, I didn't see many, you know, dolls that look. That were yeah, and, you know, <laughs> I was just, hey, I'm like, they all looked cool to me. I wanted them all yeah. to look different. But then when you start seeing how big that is in terms of like, I mean, little girls dream through Barbie. Yeah. And these were grown women, of course, who when they were little girls didn't have that kind of beautiful you know, representation of who they long to be or to dream through and all that stuff. And then all of a sudden there she was like, for instance, the, the darkest hue one, you know, we had to like push for that for years, uh, Wow, years. And wow. finally when it happened, it sold so well. It was like, I mean, yeah, of course. I mean, yeah, this is just another facet of beauty that has not been represented here. And, but when you, when I met, you know, women with tears in their eyes from that experience of seeing, you know, a Barbie like dark, like me. Yes, yes. And like, you know, with some textured hair and all that. It was like, and, you know, honestly, it changed things because now. Yeah, it, right. Barbie you opened the door for Kimora and I, everybody else. <laughs> Well, I mean, and rightfully so. A door that should have been open long before I got there. But, you know, it was only because it was time for that door. But it's long open and taken off its hinges. (laughs) You're such a revolutionary, Byron. I cannot. (laughs) It's such a revolutionary. I love it. I love it. So, you know, speaking of the Terry Agins article, New York Times article last year, she mentioned, you know, she talked about some some of the diversity efforts in the industry that were happening. <laughs> and your response was, which I love, I view it with great skepticism. As long as the protests are in the news, these moves toward Blacks will be a priority. But after that, I see a very sharp pivot in another direction. Do you still feel that way now? You know, I'm feeling a little more... Um, confident that there is going to be some some significant change and lasting yeah. change. Um, and I, I think only because the conversation's not going away. No. It's only escalating. And, I mean, our irrefutable value is just being celebrated once and yeah. for all. It, it's, you know, and that's not even just to say, hey, Yes, African-Americans have a lot to contribute and we have contributed so much to this country. And so have other brown people, yellow people, red people. I mean, like we all have something to contribute. And that's that's really just what it's about. Yeah. You know. Absolutely. That's it. Absolutely. It's like, I don't, I don't want you buying anything from me because I'm black. Mm-hmm. But I don't want you eliminating me from the field of things to be considered because I'm black either. Yeah. I mean, you know. Well, where do you where do you think the industry is going now? Like now that it's like post pandemic, we're com- we're peeking back outside of our homes now. New York Fashion Week is going to be in person. You know, everyone's sort of like leaving the nest. Obviously, people are interacting more digitally and virtually. Like. Where do you sort of see things going, like as for the industry as a whole? 
I don't think this hybridization of digital versus in-person is going anywhere because it's just too darn convenient. And there were some assessments that we made um, interacting with customers digitally with their first time seeing something in that if a garment doesn't resonate from a digital screen, it probably doesn't have a reason to exist in this time. That's pretty sad because there's a lot of great things that just don't translate digital. You know, like a great little black dress. Yeah. That's like, you know, but if it's not textural or really dynamic and it's silhouette that like just makes something, a statement on that screen, it hasn't got a chance. And maybe it's better to know that in the appointment rather than having people fall in love with that fabric and, you know what I mean? And, and love that dress because it is a great dress and then just have it die at retail because yeah. it's got to perform for others who have not had the advantage of seeing it in person Wow, on the screen. So there's some uh-huh. things that just aren't going away. And that was the reality before COVID. We just hadn't really come, all of us come to that reality. Yeah. I mean, we, we kind of had, we kind of been forced to because there have been so many great clothes that we have. And you're like, why is that selling? I mean, it's so great. <laughs> right. Well, there it is. All the time. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, your, your craftsmanship, every single piece, every detail is just so... You you can feel you can feel your passion and and just your your artistry like from the feel to just well, like thank ha- you so much ha- thank you, thank you for that it's where um, do you find these fabrics Byron I gotta ask where where are you finding you know, these a lot of them we end up making I mean like sometimes like you know we'll find a great lace but then it you know we'll put a print on it or we'll find a Georgette that doesn't have the texture so we'll laser cut it. And and sometimes it's quite a great fabric. Uh, <laughs> it's great. <laughs> you have so much fun with those laser cuts. I'm obsessed. obsessed. <laughs> Thank you. And then uh, you know a lot of it, you know, in the mixing and the the collaging is just like, well, this fabric is way out of our mm-hmm. price structure. But if we use this much with these fabrics. We can justify and it won't end up pricing up to something that's just like <laughs> right <crazy. laughs> $5,000 dress. <laughs> exactly. And so a lot of that governs our decision-making and, and how these things come together. A lot of it I, I know for sure is divine intervention because, you know, I'm not a very orderly person. <laughs> but I can destroy a design space and we've counted two hours. It takes yeah. me two hours to go from a completely clean syrup place to fabric and trim everywhere. I love it. It's, so, <laughs> but a lot of times in that mess, well, I'm trying to find something through it. What's happening in the pile that I'm creating while looking for that thing is something amazing that should happen. It just like happens on its own. Wow. And so I'm like, nice one, God. Um, <laughs> Thanks, God. So <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, you, you have been in the industry for over three decades now. So what would you say is the key to continued success as an independent designer? Because a lot of our listeners are, are designers who 
who would like to have great careers, but may not necessarily have, you know, some of the opportunities that other designers are afforded? Well, I mean, first and foremost, I think you have fashion is something that I feel like finds you. Hmm. You don't find it because, you know, it's, it's certainly one of those things that, um, I mean, if my logical self could choose, <laughs> I would never, okay. never have chosen this. There's, it's so much work and so much struggle and so much of everything, but yet, I can't imagine myself doing anything else. I guess it's like a parent with their children. It's just like, really? You really wanted to have kids? I mean, you had two and they were nightmares. And then you had a third and yeah. you love your kids. Wait, let me get. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it's, you know, not that deep, but at the same time. It's so true. Is, it is. It's like, with it all is. the struggle and, you know, other stuff, you just love it and you can't not love it you can't unlove it no i tried i tried to divorce fashion and it just kept coming back it's like fine fine like this is who i am it won't sign the paper he <laughs> won't sign the papers <laughs> i love it i love it well this you know uh one what is one piece of advice that you wish someone would have told you when you first started I wish someone would have stressed to me the importance of being involved in more of the business mm -hmm. of fashion rather than just the design aspects of it. Now, it's a very rare opportunity or situation that anybody has where they're not thrust to the forefront of the business because that's the only person that's there is you to do it. But, you know, my situation is pretty unique in that there was a support system like very shortly after I started and probably too soon after I started because you really need that slow time to kind of like learn your business before being a star. I know everybody young wants to be big or night like all this stuff but it's like there's something really super um potentially damaging from that mm. like that premature growth and that first of all it's super damaging to your self-esteem because your business gets to a point where you can't possibly be yourself mm. you know in terms of your business acumen or emotionally to even deal with some of that yeah so it, you know, nice problems to have, I know, is what many people would say, but eh, problems are problems. And um, I do feel blessed to have had that perspective to know that. But once you've known it and you've seen it, and then you see the next guy in line for it, you're like, oh, steady there, little tomato. Yeah. <laughs> on in, it's going to be fine. Yes. <laughs> So slow and steady winning the race is really something that um, of high value. Do not think that just because things are not happening for you overnight, 
that that's a bad thing. That's the best thing oftentimes. Wow. Wow. It's going to be ready when they do. Amazing. Well, you know, everyone who comes on the show, I ask them to recall one of their favorite fashion moments, one of them, of one of your favorites of all time. It could be professional, personal, or something you witnessed. It just Ooh. needs to be one. It doesn't have to I be know the it ultimate. Right away. Oh. It was what a moment it? on a Carolina Herrera runway. And there was the triplet, you know, before in runway shows, they'd have like doubles. Yes. Oh my goodness. Triples. Well, this was designed within a triple with Diane DeWitt, Dalma, and Munya. Munya was an African model who was like Saleron's house model, and she was amazing. And they were all holding in evening capes with beautiful gowns underneath at the head of the runway. And Munya would not move. She was in the center. And Dalma and Diane DeWitt were looking at each other like, well, what are we going to do? And they just had to go. They just had to go, and then they dropped the capes, and then they walked back, showed the beautiful evening gowns, and Munya is still standing there at the head. Stop. Waits for them to exit, and then she removes the cape, and then proceeds to wield it like a Toreador. Yeah. Whoosh. Yes. Yards and yards of fabric. Walking down the entire. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> they had no idea. And then she dragged it on the floor on the way back. Oh, it's like that's so okay, My prop. <laughs> that's so glorious. Well, thank you so much, Byron, for being on the show. Again, what is the website where people can find you, your work, and and shop and support? It is www dot in earnest official.com i love it well thank you so much for being on a fashion moment thank you a so much like a dream come true thank you Sheila. <laughs> thank you Sheila. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for joining me for this week of a fashion moment. If you like what you hear, we'd love for you to join our community of listeners and spread the word about the show. We also want to hear from you. Share your favorite fashion moments and dream guests with us by sending an audio clip or email to a fashion moment podcast at gmail.com. Or you can tag us on Instagram at a fashion moment and you could be featured on next week's episode. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review and let us know what you think. Until then, see you next time for another fashion moment. Podcast production by Rebecca Rashid and John Taylor Williams. Digital media production by Megan Porras. This recording carries a Creative Commons 4.0 international license. Thanks to Patrick Patrickios for their song, Hot Coffee.